Let's take our Bibles this morning, open the book of Ephesians chapter 4, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I hope you are here this morning to lift up the name of Jesus and, and praise Him, but also to worship Him uh, this morning and allow Him to speak to, to our hearts, uh, not only through the songs, but also through His Word this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, last week we had to take just a, uh, a little bit of a break through our study in the book of Ephesians as we had our grand opening uh, last week, but jumping right back in uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number 7, and we'll read down through verse number 16 again this morning. He says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Father, we do pray this morning that you would just bless in the message now. We thank you for the beautiful music this morning and the special music. And uh, Lord, just lifting up the name of Jesus. And uh, Lord, we come this morning to worship you and to lift up your name. And uh, Lord, we need you to speak to us this morning. Uh, Lord, we need you to work in our hearts. Uh, Lord, there's, there's so much turmoil going on in our, in our country and in our world. And uh, Lord, I know in jobs and families, uh, Lord, people are uh, having a difficult time. And so, Father, we need you, and we need you to speak to us this morning. And I pray, uh, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you'd work in our hearts, uh, Lord, and just uh, draw us closer to yourself. Lord, as you work in our hearts, I pray that we'd be yielded to what you'd have for us. Let us not just be hearers of what you want, and then we do nothing about it. But, Lord, may we hear what you have for us, and then may we be obedient in, in, being, in doing what you'd have for us to do. And so, Father, just bless now in our service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we're continuing our study here in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we've been looking at unity, and that unity is so important in uh, the church. And as we look this morning in these passages, we're going to see uh, that unity is needed for growth. It's needed for growth, and we've seen the gifts that are given to the individual members of the body. Uh, we saw that in Romans chapter 12. God gives spiritual gifts. We're not talking about the apostolic gifts. We're talking about spiritual gifts that God gives to each person in the church. Each person that is saved, God gives a spiritual gift to. You say, well, uh, I don't think that God gave me a spiritual gift. Then uh, you, don't, you, don't, you haven't read the Bible right. Because God says every person that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, he has given a spiritual gift to. So we all have them. Now, it may take a little bit to try to figure out what that is, but we all have spiritual gifts. But then we also found here uh, in the book of Ephesians that we've seen that God give, get, gives gifts 
to every member of the body. So there's individual gifts, but there's also gifts that are given for the whole body. And we saw that in, in verse number 11. Um, about the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and, and why they were given in verse number 12. He talks about for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the church to be strengthened. Now, in these next few verses we're going to look at this morning, there are several words that we'll see that indicate to us how important unity is in the church. Now, again, please understand, we're talking about the church, right? Um, we're talking about the body of Christ. We're not talking about the world, right? It's going to be very honest with you. Uh, it's going to be very hard for the world to ever have unity. It's not going to happen, right? The only way that the world can ever have true peace and unity is not through peace accords and peace treaties and things like this. It is only through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And uh, I know men try to, to work to bring peace and things like that, uh, which is not, not bad things. Um, we, we should desire those things. Obviously, I'm sure you've heard of the, the bombings and things taking place in Israel. We should desire peace. But look, the only peace comes from the Prince of Peace, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so when we think of this... Uh, unity in the church. We're talking about the body of Christ, the body of believers. In verse number 16, it explains what this is all about, right? And he explains the body fitly joined together. Look in verse, verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, right? So he's talking about the body fitting together, right? Every member of the body in its place, Every, every member of the body in the, in, the, in the body of Christ, in the church, every member in its place uh, so that the body can function properly. And this is what he says. Every, uh, the, the, every member of the body in its place so, watch this, so that working together maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So think about what he says here. He says that the body, uh, the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted, that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. God's desire through the body working together is that the body is able to grow. The growth. That, that edifying, that strengthening, that, that growing of the body in love, the Bible says. God's desire is for those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, and, and really, if you think about it, how sad it is that those who claim the name of Jesus Christ cannot get along together. Isn't that a sad thing? Those who claim to be Christians, now please, I understand there's a lot of religion out there, and I'm not talking about religion. I'm not trying to say that all religion needs to get together. Look, all religion does not need to get together because all religion does not believe the same thing. We're talking about the true body of, of Christ. We're talking about those who have faith, put their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, okay? And, and so he says, as this body is able to work together, then it maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The body is able to grow when there is unity. And I want you to notice a couple words that we find in this passage of Scripture. Notice, first of all, in verse number 13, the word till. 
He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The word till here, it means that it is indicating a time period. There's a time period. He's talking about unity here, and he says, hey, I'm wanting you to endeavor. I'm wanting you to, to keep the spirit of unity, right? And we understand as we've gone through Ephesians chapter 4, unity just doesn't happen, right? It just doesn't happen. You have to work at unity, right? Um, how many of you are married? How many of you are married? Raise your hand, right? How many of you, when you got married, you found out that just because you got married, it didn't mean there was unity in the marriage, Right? Right? I know that when, you know, you first thought about, man, we're going to get married and it, life is just going to be a, uh, it's just going to be smooth sailing and we're never going to have a fight. We're never going to have a quarrel. I mean, every, we're always going to agree because they're always going to see it my way. You know, I mean, it's always just going to be so great. And then you said, I do. And you got married and you realized, wait a minute, they're not on the same page as I am yet. And you're not on the same page as they are yet. And you found out that just because you're married doesn't mean there's unity in the marriage. How many of you have families? you have children? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> just because you're from the same family doesn't mean there's going to be unity. I mean, how many times have you had to tell your kids, stop it? Stop it. Don't touch him. Don't touch her. Well, wait, I thought you, I, I thought you were just the perfect family in unity. No, it's not natural, right? I mean, it's something you have to work at. And can I tell you, in the same way, in the body of Christ, just because you're saved, just because you know Jesus as your Savior, doesn't mean that unity is just going to come like that. It's not going to happen. That's why he says we have to endeavor to keep the unity. We have to work at it. May I say, that's why a lot of marriages end in failure. They're not willing to work at it. A lot of families end in failure because they're not a lot of, they're not, they don't want to work at it. By the way, a lot of churches end in failure because they don't want to work at it. It takes work to stay in unity. Now, remember, unity is not uniformity, right? Unity is not uniformity. We're not saying everybody has to act the same way and dress the same way and talk the same way and, and, and drive the same kind of car and all that. And that's not what we're saying. We're not saying uniformity. We're saying unity. There's unity. Remember, the Bible says God gives different gifts. There's different gifts that he gives, but yet there can still be unity, right? And this is what he's talking about. He says, till, right? So he's talking about unity in the church, and he says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There's a time period indicated here. In other words, these gifts... The individual gifts that are given to every member and the gifts that are given to the church for every member, the, the pastor and the evangelist and these, he says these gifts are to continue to be used until something happens. So we continue using these gifts until something happens. There's a time period. There's something that he says, till something happens. What is it that is to happen? He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He says, we are to endeavor, we're to keep working, we're to keep doing this until something happens. There's a, there's a time period that takes place. Till we come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. 
And can I say this morning, unity of the faith is not just believing salvation is by grace through faith. Although that is important, we do believe that salvation is by grace through faith. There's no doubt about that. That's how a person puts their faith in Christ. That's how they become part of the body of Christ. But that's not what he's just saying. He's not just saying till we are all saved. No, he says till we all come in the unity of the faith. Unity of the faith, that is holding to the doctrines that we find that are being taught in the Word of God. And this is why I said a moment ago, it's not just about all religions coming together because many churches and religions, they want to put doctrine aside for the sake of unity. Let's just put all of our doctrine aside. Let's all just be together. Let's all just be unified. Let's just let's put all of our doctrine and beliefs aside. You know, you believe you can go to heaven one way. We believe we can go to heaven one way. They believe they can go to heaven one way. Let's just put all of those aside and let's just all come together as one big happy family. Yeah, that's not going to work. That's not unity. It's not unity. And this is what he's saying. We are to have this unity until we all come in the uh, the, the knowledge of the Son of God and this unity of faith. May I, may I say that many churches and religions want to put aside doctrine for the sake of unity, but there can only be unity when you hold to the right doctrine. There can only be unity when you hold to the right doctrine. Now, again, please notice another important word here. It says the word all, till we all, till we all. So this is something, as he's writing to the church, he says, we all are to be working in this. We're all to be endeavoring in this. This isn't just something that the pastor is to do. This is something that everyone who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is to do. We are to endeavor. We're to work for this unity. We are to be united in our faith, where you be united in the knowledge of the Son of God. This is something that you are to do. It is something that I am to do. And here's where I believe why it's so hard for many churches to be in unity in the faith is because many Christians do not know what the Bible even teaches. You see, we have this idea that I come Sunday and the pastor just gives me the word and I'm supposed to just take that and then I just follow what he says and that's what I believe. Wrong. That is not what Sunday is about. If you're here just to sit and listen and say, okay, what is pastor going to say? And okay, I heard what he says, and so now I'm going to take that, I'm going to believe it. Friend, you're, you're in trouble. Because the Bible says you are to study the Word of God. We're to study the Scriptures. You say, oh, pastor, that's your job. No, that wasn't given to the pastor. That's given to every believer. Every believer is to study the Word of God. Every believer, when, when you come on Sunday or Wednesday and you hear the pastor preaching or someone preaching, you ought to be studying the Word of God and saying, now, wait a minute, is what he's saying true? You say, you mean we're supposed to question you? Yes. Well, I was taught never to question our clergy. Then get out. If you were taught not to question what is being taught, you might want to find a different place. Why would they not want you to question what you're being taught? I mean, what would, would you want to send your child to a school that they can never ask a question? You're, you're, I'm sorry, Mom, I don't know the answer to that. Well, I, well, the teacher said I couldn't ask any questions. You'd be like, what is wrong with that teacher? He's not going to let my student, my child, ask a question because they don't understand it. They're not going to ask a question to be able to learn it. What's wrong with that teacher? That teacher needs to go. 
Yeah, exactly. That pastor needs to go. Or you need to go one. This is what he's saying. We have to be in unity of the faith, but if we, can, if we don't know the faith, if we don't know what the Bible teaches, how are we supposed to be in unity? And this is why it's, it's so sad. I'm, I, 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 I've seen this countless times where a church will, will be divisive and critical and things, and it has nothing to do with doctrine. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. Well, they didn't like the color of the carpet of the church, or they didn't like the color paint in the church. What does that have to do with doctrine? What does that have to do with the faith? Nothing. And yet they'll split over that. They'll divide over that. Well, what, is the, what does the church believe? Well, I'm not really sure, but we didn't like the color they painted the church. You see how petty we've become? We're more concerned about the color of the church than we are studying the Word of God. We're supposed to study it. You see, here's the thing. The more we get into the Word, the more we come to know the Son of God. Notice what he says in verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You understand that God's desire for you and I as Christians is to know Jesus Christ more and more and more. He wants us to know him more and more and more. He wants us to know him on a daily basis more than what we knew him yesterday. Now, friend, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you've been attending a church, or maybe you don't go to church, or maybe you're just here because we're going to have a baptism here in a few minutes, and and thank you for coming for that. But if you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot know God. You can't know God. You can know about Him, but you can't know Him. Because the only way we can truly know God is to know Jesus Christ. And this is why he says, we want to come into the knowledge of the Son of God. There ought to be a desire in the heart of a Christian to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more and more and more each and every day. This is why Paul tells us back in the book of Romans in chapter 9 and verse number 29 that we are to be conformed to the image of his Son. As we are in the Word of God and we're studying and we're finding out this is what God wants for us and this is what God wants for my life and this is how He wants me to live, then as I make those changes that He is working in me about, what's He doing? He's helping me to change, to become more like Jesus Christ. I feel that that's probably one of the reasons why we don't want to know the Son of God more. Because we don't want to make any changes in our life. We're just content the way things are. We don't want to make any changes. We don't want to know him more because if we know him more, he might ask more of us. If I know him more, then he might ask me to change something. If I know him more, he might ask me to do something. And so instead of being willing to do that, we just don't want to know him. I'm not going to study his word I'm not going to take the time to study the Word of God every day. I'm not going to take time to be in prayer with Him every day. I'm not going to take time to really get to know who Jesus is because I'm afraid that if I do, He might ask me something. Friend, can I tell you? There is nothing you have to fear Jesus asking you. There's nothing you have to be afraid of. Why why would we be afraid of Jesus asking us to do something for Him? Why would we be afraid of that? Well, you know, he might ask me to, you know, he might ask me to be a missionary. 
and that's a bad thing? Well, he might ask me to teach a Sunday school class, and that's a bad thing? Well, he might ask me to to tell somebody else about Jesus, and that's a bad thing? You see, we have this idea that that the devil gets this idea into our mind. If you follow Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you serve Jesus, he's going to ask you to do things that, that are just horrible. Why would we believe the devil over Jesus? You know, the devil didn't die for you. Jesus did. Jesus died for you. And he wants you to know him. That's why, my friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't have that personal relationship with him, Jesus died for you. When no one else could, when no one else even wanted to. You think the devil wanted to die for you? You think anybody else wanted to die for you? Nobody did, but Jesus did. He wanted to die for you because he knew that was the only way for you and I to be saved. He knew that was the only way for you and I to be with him for all of eternity. He chose to do that for us when there was no way for us to be saved. He chose to do that for us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants you to know him. And now you think, well, now that I know Jesus, now that I'm saved, that somehow he's going to ask me something horrible? And I tell you, there's nothing horrible that Jesus could ever ask of you. Anything that he has for your life, can I tell you this morning, listen to this please, anything that Jesus has for your life is far better than any plan you ever had. It's better. But yet we have allowed the world and the devil to convince us that it's always going to be worse. It's going to be worse. Can I tell you something, friend? There's nothing greater than serving Jesus. Nothing. Nothing greater than serving Jesus. And this is what he's saying. We ought to be in unity about this, right? And again, please understand, how are churches going to be in unity in the faith? How are they going to be in unity in the knowledge of the Son of God if they have no desire to know him? If a church has no desire to know him, if a, if a church member say, I don't really care about reading my Bible, I don't really care about knowing God, can I tell you, it's going to be really hard for that church to be in unity. It's going to be really hard for that church to grow spiritually and to accomplish what God has for them. And this is why he's writing this to the church. He's saying, hey, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to work at this. This doesn't come naturally. You're going to have to work at staying in unity. Man, because I'm telling you what, your flesh, man, your flesh wants to, man, just snap at people. Your flesh just wants to, man, just, just lash out at them. Man, they do something to you, you want to do something back to them. Your flesh just wants to do that, but that's not going to be good for unity. So he says, you've got to work at this. Well, how long? <laughs> Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Can I ask you a question this morning? For First Baptist Church, if you call First Baptist Church your home, are we all in unity of the faith? I'm going to be very honest with you this morning. The answer to that is no. No, we're not. Are we all in unity of the knowledge of the Son of God? The answer to that is no, we're not. 
This is why he says you have to keep doing this until we are all in unity of the faith, in unity of the Son of God and knowing him. Hey, can I tell you, when is that going to happen? When is it going to take place that we are all in unity of the faith and we are all in unity of the Son of God when we desire to say, hey, I want to know more about Jesus Christ and what he has for my life than anything else? That's when that will happen. Until we put Jesus Christ first in our life and we put all these other things to the side and say these things are not as important as knowing God. It's not as important as getting into the word of God and studying. We will make this excuse, I don't have time. Right? How many of us have made that excuse before? I don't have time to study the word of God. My hand's up. I'm the only one? Come on. Some of you are lying this morning, right? We have all made that excuse. I just don't have time to study. How many of you have time to eat? How many of you have time to sleep? We have time to work. We have time to play. We got time to fish. We got time to hunt. We got time to shop. We got time for everything else except for the most important thing, knowing him. You see, it's not that we don't have time. It's just we haven't made the right time. Look, I'm just as guilty as anybody. There are times when, hey, I don't make the time that I should to study the Word of God. And that's why it's something that we have to do. Man, if we want First Baptist Church, if we want the body of Christ to be able to grow spiritually, man, it's going to take every single one of us until we all, he says. He didn't just point out the pastor or the deacons or the missionary. He says, no, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. It's something we all have to work on, every one of us. The more we get into the Word of God, the more we know the Son of God. Would you just stop and think about that for a moment? The more we get into the Word of God, the more we know the Son of God. I wonder how much do you know the Son of God today? I wonder how much time this week did you take and getting into the Word of God, knowing Him. Because the more we're in the Word of God, the more we know the Son of God. Do you think you know the Son of God well? May I ask you, how did you represent Him this past week? How did you represent Him this past week? At your job, how did you represent Him? Did you lash out at somebody? Did you get angry with somebody? Somebody ticked you off? You're going to let them know what you think about them. Somebody didn't do their job right, and so you're just going to lash out at them. You're going to call them every name in the book. Maybe we don't know the Son of God as well as we think we do. Because the more that I'm in the Word, the more I know the Son of God. And the more that I know the Son of God, then the more that I allow Him to change me and to conform me into His image, the better I will represent Him in my life. Look, can I tell you this morning, I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. Look, I'm not saying that I've never got angry with anybody and I've never got ticked off with people, right? <laughs> not saying that. But I'm saying, how did we represent Christ? It's one thing getting ticked off with somebody. It's another thing in how you respond to that. 
It's one thing getting upset with somebody because they didn't do anything, something right, but it's another thing in how you respond to them. <laughs> Can you imagine? Jesus Christ calling these 12 disciples, right? He calls these 12 disciples and he says, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to, you're going to be with me. And from the moment that he called these 12 disciples, they were absolutely perfect, weren't they? Weren't they? I mean, they never did anything wrong. Peter never stuck his foot in his mouth, right? They didn't do anything wrong. I mean, the sons of thunder didn't say, call down fire and burn those people up, you know? No, they didn't do anything wrong. Can you imagine all the time that they must have spent with Jesus and Jesus is just probably going... When are they going to learn? <laughs> How many times do you say, oh, ye of little faith? I mean, Jesus has just performed miracle after a miracle, and he says, hey, we're going to go across on the other side. We're going to go on the Sea of Galilee. They get in the boat. The storm comes. They said, Master, we're going to die. And he says, come on, guys. Come on. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I, I created these seas? I created the mountains. I've got all power over these things. Guys, where's your faith? And then he stands up into the, in the bow of the boat and just lifts his hand and says, peace, be still. And it's all calm. No more waves. No more wind. I mean, from that point, they, they absolutely got it from then on, didn't they? No, they didn't. Over and over and over, Jesus has to still correct them and he'll still, hey, that's not it, guys. That's not it. That's not what I'm wanting. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, Peter, you know, this isn't what you're supposed to say. This is what you're supposed to do. John, come on, don't do that. Hey, guys, this is where I want you to go. I mean, for three and a half years, these guys were with the Lord Jesus Christ. We would think if anybody would have got it right, it would have been these guys. And then one of them even turns around and betrays him. You understand, Jesus is not expecting perfection. Somehow we get this idea that unless we're perfect, we just can't please God. That's not what he's asking. He's not asking for perfection because, believe me, he knows we can't be perfect. But he also knows that we can become more like him. He knows that if we will yield to him, and if we will know him and get in his word and know about him, he knows that we can become more like him. And isn't that what his desire is? Not to be perfect, but simply to become more like Jesus Christ. How do we represent him? How did, how did you represent him this past week? What was your speech like? Get around a bunch of guys and say something that you know you probably shouldn't have said. Or listen to something you probably shouldn't have listened to. Watch something that maybe you shouldn't have watched. How are we representing Jesus? This is what he says. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. 
The body is not able to grow the way it should until we are all in unity. This is his desire. Till we all come in the unity. So there's a time period. This isn't something that's just, oh, that's, you know, I, I figured out unity, now it's all done. No, no, no. He said this is something that's going to go on. But now notice the second word here, unto. Look what he says in the same verse. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So notice the word unto. It indicates a destination. There is a destination that we are pointing to. In other words, when we follow this, when we follow this unity uh, that, that God desires for us, then it will lead us to the right destination, which is a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, please don't misunderstand me. You said, Pastor, you just said God didn't expect us to be perfect. That's true. The word perfect here is the old word for mature. It means to be mature. He's not expecting us to be perfect as if, as if we never sin, but he is expecting us as we grow in unity to be spiritually mature. He wants us to be mature in our faith. He wants us to be mature in what we believe and in our walk with Christ. And again, please, this is not speaking of perfection. It's maturity. And it is only when we hold to right doctrine that we're able to be mature spiritually. It's only when our knowledge of Christ is growing that we're able to be mature spiritually. Please listen to this. Salvation does not make you mature. You can be saved this morning and praise God for that. Praise God that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but that doesn't make you mature. Nor does being saved for a long time make you mature. You can be in here this morning, you can say, I've been saved for 50 years. Praise God for that. That doesn't mean you're mature. That doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. Here's the standard. Here's the standard that he says. Unto a perfect man, and then he explains what this is, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, here's the standard that we are to be striving for. The standard that we are to be striving for is not the person next to you. It's not the person sitting next to you like, well, this, you know, my, my husband or my wife or this person or that person. No, no, that's not the standard that you're supposed to be striving for. Now, if they're mature, praise God. If they're spiritually mature, that's, that's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. But that's not the standard you're to be striving for. The standard is not the pastor. Well, the pastor is supposed to be spiritually mature, but so I've got to strive for that. No, 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 that's not true at all. By the way, I, I, there is no doubt in my mind that there are people in this church that are more spiritually mature than I am. No doubt about it. No doubt about it that there are people in this church more spiritually mature than I am. Not that because they've been saved longer than I have. No, no, they're just more spiritually mature. They have, they're yielded to God even more than myself. You say, well, why aren't they the pastor? I don't know. That's a good question. Why don't you go ask him? <laughs> no, it doesn't mean God hasn't called him to be the pastor. That doesn't mean you can't be spiritually mature. We have this idea that if you have a position, that that means you're spiritually mature. That doesn't mean anything. I, friend, I have known pastors, known pastors that were pastoring for 20 years and then got saved just because you have a position doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. It's not the person sitting next to you, well, as long as I'm more mature than them. No. The standard is Christ. Did you see that? He says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
This is the destination we are striving for, to be made like Christ, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Look, if you're trying to say, well, I want to be like this person in the church, or I want to be like the pastor, or that's, that's my standard of, of spiritual maturity. If I could just be like them, then I'll know I've reached it. Friend, you've got it wrong. It's not about them. It's about him. Jesus Christ, that's the standard. That's who we are trying to be conformed to the image of, Jesus Christ. Not your husband, not your wife, not a friend, not the pastor, but Jesus Christ. That's who we're striving to be like. That's why he wants us to be in unity in the faith and unity in the knowledge of the Son of God so that we can grow as a body of believers, so that we can be able to be what God wants us to be. That's the standard. That's the direction to be like Christ. Then I want you to notice the third word here. Till indicates a time period. Unto indicates a a destination. But notice in verse number 14, he says that. That. We henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That, it indicates a purpose. There's a purpose for this unity. In other words, there's a reason for all that he's told us. And here it is. I'm just going to sum it up really quickly for you, and then we're going to break it down a little bit for a few minutes. Here's, Here's what he's telling us. All that he's telling us, there's a reason for it all, and this is what he's saying. Grow up and stop acting like children. That's what he's saying. Now, we don't like to hear that, especially as adults. We don't, an adult never wants to hear anybody tell them, grow up. We're like, who do you think you are, man? Well, that's what God just said, grow up. Grow up and, start act, and stop acting like children. That, watch this, that we henceforth be no more children. Why do, why do kids fight? I mean, your, your own kids who love each other, right? You're, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, the things you should see up here. Oh, I'm telling you. When a little kid goes, mm-mm, no. <laughs> uh, that, uh, yeah, you just kind of lose your train of thought on that one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> uh. <laughs> when children <laughs> who love them, their brothers and sisters, yes, they do, <laughs> they fight. Look, I've had six kids, and uh, they're not perfect. And there are times when I want to rip their heads off. And I say, stop it. What are you doing? You know that's not right. You know that's wrong. Why'd you do that? I don't know. You mean I'm not the only one they've ever said that to? You know, your kids say that too? I don't know. Or the famous one. Because. Some of you guys have said that, haven't you? They're like, yeah, I know. That's my phrase, because. Yeah. Why, why do they fight? Because they're more concerned about themselves than they are the other person. Why do Christians fight? Because we're more concerned about ourselves than we are the other person. 
You see, it's childish. It's what children do. Fight and squabble over silly things. Who cares if you get the red car instead of the blue car? What difference does it make? Well, the red car is better. They're the same car, just a different color. But yet they'll squabble, they'll fight over nothing. And this is what he's saying. Christians, grow up. Stop acting like children. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. You see, the danger of immaturity is seen in verse number 14. He uses an illustration of a child in charge of a boat. Think about this, a child in charge of a boat. Well, let's, let's, make, it a little bit, let's make it a little bit simpler, right? Um, if, you wanted to, if you wanted to leave from the church and you wanted to go to Columbus, how many of you would allow my seven-year-old son Malachi to drive your car? You don't even have a car. Those that do did not raise their hand. None, none of you would let my seven-year-old drive your car to Columbus. I mean, one, if he was able to make it out of the parking lot without wrecking and hitting something, that would be a miracle in itself. But he has no idea of which way Columbus is. He does not know that if you go north on 127 and you hit 70, you can take that over. He, he doesn't know that. You just tell him, hey, Malachi, jump in this car and go to Columbus. He's gonna, he has no idea where he's going. He has no idea what he's doing. If somehow he was miraculous way and able to make it to the interstate, you think he's going to drive in the lines? I guarantee you, you are going to be car sick in the first two or three minutes. I mean, it is not going to go well. Because he has no direction, he has no purpose, he doesn't know what he's doing. This is what he's saying. Stop being children with no direction, no purpose. Instead, get into the word of God. Know the son of God. Let him change your life. Let him give you a purpose. There's a direction here. His, the, 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 the stature of Jesus Christ, that's the, that's the measure of what we're supposed to be. Stop being children just tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, he says. A growing, maturing Christian will not be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. They're going to know the word of God. They're going to know what God says. They're going to have that close relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, I'm telling you, there are plenty of religious charlatans waiting to snatch up immature believers and get them into their false cults. And they do it week after week after week. But a mature believer is going to recognize these false teachings. They're going to recognize the false cults. They're going to steer clear of them. And it's sad that so many members of cults are from churches that did not grow spiritually. Oh, maybe they did come to know Christ and now they're wanting to grow, but there's nobody there to help them to grow and there's, there's no desire to grow spiritually until somebody else comes along from this false cult and takes them in and now they're gone. What happened? They didn't grow. And this is why God gives these gifts to the church to develop believers from infancy to maturity. If you're in a church because you like their style of music or you like the weekly programs that they offer or you've got friends in the church, you're there for the wrong reasons. 
It's not about the music or the programs or the friends. It ought to be in a church where the word of God is being preached and taught so that you're able to grow spiritually. But friend, let me tell you something. If that's why you come to church, it's just so that you can grow and you think that's the only time you're gonna grow, you are not going to grow because it has to be something that you do every single day. You have to get into the word of God. You have to know Jesus yourself. You can't just depend upon the pastor and the message. Okay, he said I'm supposed to grow spiritually. Okay, uh, well, I heard the message. I'm to go home now. What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do on Tuesday? What are you going to do on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Look, you've got to get into the Word of God as a Christian. You've got to know what the Word of God says, because if not, you're going to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You're going to, you're going to be like a child, and this is going to upset you because they didn't have the blue car instead of you got the red car, and, and this is going to upset you because you didn't get asked to do this, and they got to be asked to do this, and, and you're just going to cause division and schism in the church. And he says, that's not what he wants for the body. That's not what he desires for the church. He wants unity in faith and doctrine, unity in trying to become more like Jesus Christ. Why? So that there is a purpose for the church, for the body of Christ to be able to grow, to grow. And this is why he says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He gives a good example here of truth and love. It has been said that truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. Man, your wife could be in a store with you and ask you what you think about a dress that she sees in that store. And you may think it's the ugliest dress in the world, but I hope and pray to God that you don't say that. <laughs> You're not just going to blurt it out and be like, that's the ugliest dress I've ever seen. Uh, no, not unless you plan on cooking and cleaning and sleeping on the couch for a long time. But you can speak the truth in love. You can speak the truth, but you better speak it in love. You know, honey, I just, that dress just doesn't, it's just not good enough for you. Yeah. Right. I'm glad somebody's taking notes, right? That dress just isn't good enough for you. I, I, I want to find a better dress for you. Hey, I'm telling her I'm not really concerned about that dress. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Right? And this is what he's saying as Christians. Hey, hey, you know, there are some times when we, we do have to speak the truth. There are some times when we need to be reprimanded. There are some times when we need to be, be called out. Look, we understand that. As Christians and as a church, we aren't going to hide the truth. Just because you know it might hurt somebody's feelings if they don't know it, or if you said that, you're going to hurt their feelings. But friend, we know more importantly than that, if they don't know the truth, that could hurt them. If they don't know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and he is the only way of salvation, that's going to hurt them for eternity. You say, is that really important? Is the truth important? God says it is. But we are to speak it in love. 
We understand that as members of the body of Christ in a local body, we belong to each other. This is what he's saying. For whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Man, the whole body is working together. Each member is affected by one another. It doesn't matter how insignificant we may seem ourselves. We have a ministry to other believers. It's important that we are growing because if I am not growing, then you're not going to grow. And if you're not growing, then I'm not going to grow. Why? Because we're part of the same body. We have this idea, well, my life doesn't affect anybody but me. Oh, friend, it does. If you're a Christian, it does. And this is why he says there must be unity. Why? Because the whole purpose for the growth of the body is to be like Christ. The whole purpose, understand this, the whole purpose of the growth of the body is not just to be able to grow, to be like Christ. And that's God's desire for your life individually, and that's God's desire for the body of Christ, all of those that know Jesus as their Savior. That's why unity is so important, not just to grow, but to be like Christ. I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. No one.